things. A missing submarine, a dead naval officer off the coast of Madagascar, birds going haywire in Peru, and active alien tech in Hong Kong. There's also a talking cat in Ontario, but I've ruled him out for now. So, Adam, guess what I did? <laughs> That's a very wide-open question. Um, I'm going to narrow it down. Does it have something to do with Doctor Who? Well, yes. Yes, okay. we are here to talk about Doctor Who, so it's Doctor Good. Who related. Good. Um, did you pull out some classics? I did. I went back and did some classic viewing because Look of you. some stuff that's been, you know, the, the new series has been doing some stuff that made me interested in going back and looking at uh, the classic episodes. Nice. nice. So I renewed my BritBox subscription. Oh, I forgot about that. Also not a sponsor. Not a sponsor. No. But so we will happily accept sponsorship at this point if if that's what you're looking to do. Yes, absolutely. But if for those of you out there that are curious on how you can watch classic Doctor Who episodes, uh, BritBox is the way to go. And you can get it in the U.S. A subscription. It's like a subscription, kind of like Netflix or Hulu. You can download the app. So whatever your preferred thing that you you know get your streaming service through. I use I use it through my Apple TV. So I got the app. I had to re-download it because it had been that long <laughs> since, since I had watched some <laughs> classic Who. But the thing that got me interested in it was kind of all this talk around the Valyard. Yeah. And kind of like, you know, even some discussions that went on in our Facebook group and people were kind of saying, I was, I said in the, the episode, you know, that I didn't think that Ruth was the Valyard. And then I, I felt pretty strongly about it. But then other people were like, why don't you think so? And I was like, I don't even really know why I don't think, because I, I don't know anything about it. You know, so I felt like I needed to go back and do some research so I could feel like I could have a, an opinion that actually was informed. Nice. So I, I, I appreciate that, uh, that approach. But I feel like I've, I've learned a lot, Adam, and it's kind of made me want to go back and watch some more classic who, because there were a couple firsts for me. This is the first time I watched a full episode featuring the sixth doctor. Okay. Well, nice. not a full episode where he's the doctor the whole time. Cause I did see <laughs> the regeneration into him. I watched okay. that episode. I watched the fifth doctor, uh, regenerate into the sixth, but I never watched like a full on sixth doctor episode. And I learned some things because this season, the entire season of the sixth doctor season, which I believe I forget what I have. I think if I pull it up here, uh, what was it? it was season 23 of doctor who, okay. Uh, was the sixth doctor season and the entire season is one storyline. So we oh, talk really? about, yeah. So we talk about how like, you know, we've had different preference, right? Like when we watch the modern doctor series, it's like, do we like the ones that are multiple episode stories or do we like the standalones? If you were a fan back then, you had to watch a whole season that was one storyline. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I I could I I think I think I could sit through that at this point. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I've I've only watched the first 4 episodes of it. It's called The Mysterious Planet is that story. I think they they kind of post named this stuff that originally wasn't named anything but in in like retrospect they've gone back and and named some of these storylines so um yeah this one was called the mysterious planet 
and it was four episodes of a 14-part story that's broken down into other stories. So, But it's kind of an interesting thing, and like I won't talk about it too long because that's not what we're here to talk about today. But they, the way that they did it was basically the doctor's on trial, and he has to watch himself in this trial with the, with the Time Lords. Oh, really? And so he has to watch all these clips of things that he has done. So you're basically watching a Doctor Who episode of the Doctor watching a Doctor Who episode. <laughs> it's, so it's kind of funny. That's awesome. Um, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. I Even the Sixth Doctor, he's kind of the one that I hear a lot of people's least favorite. And for, I had seen him in a number of clips and kind of didn't really necessarily love the portrayal and the look of that Doctor. Um, but having watched now four episodes, uh, it's interesting. He's definitely got a abrasive personality as this doctor, very arrogant, but he's got, his delivery is kind of entertaining. It's like, almost like I'm like, Oh, I, I'm kind of buying into this, like that the doctor could be this way. Okay. So I would recommend, I don't know, Adam, if you let your Brit box lapse, but I would recommend maybe going back and watching some of these. Yeah. I might need to figure that out. I have a few new options, so I'll see what I can I'll see what I can explore. And the other thing I noticed is the because kind of some of the talk about it being the Valyard. I actually still, after watching these episodes, and now I haven't watched through the entire uh, fourteen episodes, and I believe it's toward the end that it's revealed that the Valyard is actually the dark, you know, amalgamation of all the dark parts of the Doctor that come somewhere between the twelfth uh, reincarnation and in the end of the doctor is very vague where this one lands. Um, but even after kind of watching this stuff, I still don't think Ruth's the Valyard. No, nah, I, I think that, you know, Ruth, even though kind of having a, maybe a bit of a darker tone about her personality and, and whatnot, I still don't think she was portrayed as a, a, you know, fully dark character, you know, uh, oh, I think, absolutely. I think she had a good side and I think was mostly good. And I believe that even, you know, when they're referencing the doctors, like not using guns and she's like, I know, you know, I think that they have the same values, which I believe if it was the valued. That wouldn't be the case. Yeah. And, and I think if there's any um, hitch in that argument that that is who she is, you look specifically at the scene where Jodie Whittaker's doctor is like, we don't, or the doctor doesn't use guns. And Joe Martin is like, absolutely. Or, you're right. And basically like the look on her face is, I know this, you know, this just let this play out and let's get out of here. Right. Uh, it yeah. was, it, it definitely is that indication where, okay, this is the doctor at that point. But I do think that maybe one of the things that people that are in the know and some of the people that are in our Facebook page as well I, they haven't said this specifically because I think maybe they were, you know, for people that haven't watched these classic episodes, it's kind of spoilery if you plan to watch them. But as we had the discussion, you know, something that came out in the in the 70s and 80s, it's kind of hard to really say it's a spoiler. So I feel like we can be pretty free to discuss topics that relate to the classic series that may, you know, may not be known if you haven't watched that series. But if you're, you know, if you don't want to hear stuff, then maybe don't listen to this part. But um, there, and we had mentioned this before in the episode, in in the episode, um, 
Orphan 55. Yeah. Where they discovered that the planet they were on was actually a future version of the Earth that had been destroyed. And that same thing happens in this storyline, the mysterious planet. So there is a connection with episodes that the Valyard is in and okay. similar events that happen um, that are happening in this current season. So I could see where people would start to make that connection and be like, well, you have this other version of the Doctor that's mysterious. You also have an episode that's you know, reminiscent of a classic episode that the Valyard was in. And they're putting the pieces together and starting to think, oh, maybe that's a hint that this is the value. I don't think that's the case, but I can see why people would read into that. Now, do you think that a version of the doctor is the same as saying that Joe Martin was the doctor? Hmm. I don't know. You mean, so when you say a version of the doctor, uh, like the war doctor or or other right right like so my understanding is that the the valyard is not the doctor um maybe a version of the doctor maybe a um extension of the doctor maybe a part of the doctor but not the doctor and that's that's another thing that as i've kind of thought through the the, the impact or the possibilities it's Joe Martin was credited as the doctor. And I, and I think you are the one that called that out the last time we talked about all this, but that, that stuck with me. Um, so is there any way that we could then go back and edit the credits after the fact and be like, Oh, just kidding. Probably not. That's a pretty major thing to be like Joe Martin as the doctor. Right. I agree. I think that's, that's a very telling thing in that we're not getting some kind of, interesting version you know the dream doctor or the valyard or the uh what was the the one that that tom baker came back and played uh, the um, curator the curator you know that type of thing where it's not you know it's an maybe doctor but not really the doctor now i do think the war doctor was the doctor oh yeah absolutely um, the way that they they portrayed that character but yeah there's still more to be revealed i'm sure but i you know i think that in one way, I, I believe it is uh, that she is playing the doctor and, yeah. not, and not kind of a cheat. So hmm. I, I'm, I'm still curious to see how it plays out. Um, it was that's that's one of those things about this episode that we will be discussing uh, that kind of sticks to me a little bit. The fact that we kind of just brush over the fact that last week we had such a bombshell dropped on us. Um but hopefully over the next couple of episodes, maybe there is some more reference to it. Uh, I, I guess we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, well, I'm I Joe Martin is the doctor. It's just a matter of how and and yeah, how how is she the doctor? <laughs> well, we do know a little bit more about the season now. We do know the titles of the next couple episodes. We know essentially how the season's going to play out. There's two more episodes that we know the titles of, and then they've already revealed that the final two episodes are going to be a two-part finale. Yeah. So that was... How's that? So that's cool to know. I think that that means that the the, the two-part finale is going to be an event. I believe it's going to be some big stuff happening. So that may be the time that we get some sort of a return of that Doctor. Um, but... Maybe not. Maybe they leave that hanging for another season. 
and something different happens in the two-part finale, but I'm kind of expecting at least some connection back to that big, uh, those big storyline pieces that are still hanging. Absolutely. And, and looking at the, the next two episodes, episodes that we have prior to what we now know will be a two part finale. I'm not entirely sure where some of these additional pieces that we're kind of hanging on to, be it the master, um, the doctor, the, the new doctor, uh, and the timeless child and Gallifrey, um, how those four pieces could have anything to do with the next two episodes. I don't think it can. So we really will be waiting until the two part finale. Uh, and then I think that it's even been, I mean, it's a lot less of a rumor now that there will be a Christmas special. I was just doing some reading, um, on a couple sites and it does look like, Hey, they might've even started to film or finished filming. They already know who the writer is. Um, and some rumors as to what a Christmas special would include. Um, hmm. so I mean, all rumors at this point, some, he, some it would, set leaks, some set leaks, maybe a few pictures, maybe a few indications of what might be happening, but, uh, will they wait that long? to bring the doctor, the new doctor back. Yeah. Hopefully not. Hopefully it's within the next, uh, within the final two episodes that we have some form of resolution, uh, some tying of the loose ends, if you will. Hmm. I like the name drop of the, uh, the, the new year special resolution there. Oh, did I really? Oh, I did. So look at that. Is it? <laughs> I thought you were trying oh, to like totally hint at it. Like, Wait, are but the I Daleks like it. coming back? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so well, are, do we want to talk about the next two episodes? Yeah. The next okay. episode is titled, Can You Hear Me? And this is episode seven of the season. Um, and the description, I think we got an official description, right? From Yeah. We have the from, synopsis. So it says, from ancient Syria to present day Sheffield, and out into the wilds of space, something is stalking the Doctor and her friends. As Graham, Yaz, and Ryan return home to see friends and family, they find themselves haunted by very different experiences. Who is the figure calling from beyond the stars for help, and why? And what are what are the fearsome Ch- Chagaskas? Yeah, you have fun saying that one. Chagaskas. Terrorizing Aleppo in 1380. Wow. Yeah. That's a long time ago. Yeah. So (laughs) based on the the teaser for this episode, I have to admit that I'm pretty excited for this episode. And I think this might come the closest to what has been said over and over for the past two series that they are going to have bring in some troubling, creepy, somewhat scary elements to Doctor Who. The, The teaser looks frightening. You see, it, it's funny because you seem to be very uh, unimpressed by by Doctor Who when it comes to this element, when it comes <laughs> to the scary stuff. You always, you you like to bring that up where it's like, oh, they keep promising the scary stuff, but I'm not really that scared. Well, I what's so, an example of something that did land for you that okay, was truly the, scary? The Weeping Angels landed for me. There were elements of um, the silence that that hit pretty hard the the one um 
episode with Capaldi listen. And again, we, we talked at length about this, but the one with the kid hiding underneath the bed sheet, like hmm. that one, that one, there were elements of that, that like kind of creeped me out. The whisper men. I don't know if you remember them, the guys in the top hats, they looked like undertakers, but they were like following the, they creeped me out. I wish they would have stuck around longer because to me, they were really interesting. Um, so there, there's but nothing those... in, nothing in the, in the Jody Whitaker era yet. Yeah, there's there's really been nothing that like Tim Shaw. I mean, ultimately he could have been mm. kind of creepy, but I think he was just kind of too far out there with teeth stuck to his to his. And face. he was kind of a doofus, like he. Yeah. Yeah. And you got the the ribbon monsters, the ones that introduced the whole like timeless child. Not really all that creepy. Um, and honestly, like outside of those two, I can't really remember any of the other villains that showed up during series 11. What about um, the Gregs? The dregs? The, oh, okay. So now if we're looking at series 12, yeah, I mean, they're not frightening. They're, they're your typical monster. I want something that I think what, what, you need something that's more psychologically exactly those okay. things that that the things that establish what I mentioned are because they get you looking over your shoulder in present day. I'm not going to be looking over my shoulder for a drag, um, but like those those nuances of like, did you hear that or did it just move or what's underneath your bed? Like those are those things that I mean admittedly i'm still one of those people that run up my basement stairs when i turn off the light because i swear there's going to be something behind me trying to grab me like those are those things that i want to have doctor who kind of uh draw out those those things in the back of everybody's mind that there's just some weird fear back there that we know is it doesn't exist it's illogical but why is it there that's what i want to have pulled out like every time you open a box from Amazon, you <laughs> see that bubble wrap. You, you know uh, the bubble wrap. That oh, that was that Kablam. was one that was hopeful, right? That one. Could they make bubble wrap scary? Ultimately, no. Sorry, no. they failed on that one. <laughs> well, this the the second episode that's uh, the of the of the last two before the two part finale. Um, I don't know that we've got an official announcement, and this is more just like people have found it kind of thing am i wrong about that yeah i think um ultimately chibnall gave an interview uh and and some of these things were were mentioned in passing on the in the interview uh the the house in the title the villa diodati i think is how you might say it it is a well-known place um and the character's would frequent the place or did uh, go to the place. So kind of maybe some extra uh, extrapolation there, but so anyways. it sounds like we're getting a story. Uh, the title is the haunting of Villa Diodati and it's going to feature, I guess, Lord Byron and the future Mary Shelley. Yeah. So we get some Frankenstein stuff. Maybe this is, this will be interesting. I, I think this one has the potential Right. If you're if you're dealing with someone like a Mary Shelley, that it could have some creepy aspects to it. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited about this one as well. And keep in mind, 
and and maybe if anybody is concerned about spoilers or if I might be ruining something for you, tune this out for a, a second. But one of the initial trailers that we got for the series of Doctor Who is the very decrepit-looking Cybermen, right? Like a pieced together, falling apart Cybermen. Now we have this episode where we are getting introduced to Mary Shelley, the writer of Frankenstein. Does your mind make that lo- that that logical leap there where it's like, oh, you have a f- Cyberman that's falling apart in the trailer looked pretty bloody, maybe some pieces that were fleshy. And then you have the writer of Frankenstein is one an inspiration for the other. Um, I'm excited to see what they do with this episode. Nice. My mind did not make that connection until now. So it's that's there. Cool. Yeah, that's. That makes sense, and because we haven't seen it, we know the Cyberman is in the trailer. We have not seen the Cyberman yet, although it could be part of the two-part finale. But could I th- be. I think that what we've seen so far in the trailer is probably going to happen within the next two episodes. I, I think I feel like the two-part finale is something they haven't sh- haven't teased yet. I don't think we've yeah. seen any clips from that. It it might be interesting to go back. Um, maybe after this this next episode and watch that YouTube trailer that we watched. See if the last or two episodes. Yeah. And see what pieces, because we have the, the vampire lady who we found out was from Gallifrey. We have the, I, I mean, the historical looking characters are going to show up in the haunting of Via Diodati. So we're going to start to be able to piece things together. I wonder if there's a few bits that are in there that don't fit into what we know. Hmm. Maybe, but I think I'm just trying to, play them all through my head right now and I feel like everything that I remember from the trailers that we've seen so far has either already happened or is probably going to happen within the next two episodes with yeah. with the exception of possibly the Cybermen but I like what you're saying about that being a connection to Frankenstein it makes complete sense or the monster not Frankenstein the doctor but the monster that he creates <laughs> to get well it done. accurate but um, yeah so I think that 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 very likely is probably where we'll see the Cybermen show up. Also, we know that Jack Harkness said something about a Cyberman, so there would be a connection there. Is it the lone Cyberman, though? Or is it just some random Cyberman? I I feel like once you have a character say something like that, the next time you see Cybermen, there probably is going to be a connection. It'd be a weird thing for him to say that, and then a Cyberman shows up, and then it's like, oh, that's not the lone Cyberman. It was a different one I was talking about. I'm going to be super curious then to know... Mm -hmm what the Cybermen wants back in when was Frankenstein written like 18, I mean, early 18, 1800s. I don't know. Uh, It'll be interesting to see what the, the Cybermen wants then from that time period. Yeah. Maybe he's just looking for human parts. Don't give him what he wants. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let's, let's talk about this, this, episode titled Praxius, which is in the unenviable position of being the next episode after the big, you know, the, the, uh, the amazing episode of the uh, fugitive of the Jadoon. Yes. So it's almost like any episode that came after, unless it was directly related or a direct sequel is going to be a bit of a letdown. Yeah. I, for, for me, when it comes to this episode, I would say it it probably is middle of the road. But what you mentioned in regards to the unenviable position of coming out after Fugitive of the Jadoon, that's 
the way that that episode ended with Ryan giving the inspiration, inspirational talk and everybody being like, Hey, we're family. Like we're mates. We're, we're in this together. And then the doctor gets the, the notification, the TARDIS, you're trying to just dis- to distract me. Uh, should we go investigate that leads directly into Praxius? And so it's like, there is a direct connection and yet it's like the fugitive of the Jadun just didn't happen at all. And I think that's where I might experience this, the phenomenon where a middle of the road episode immediately drops down a position or two in my mind because it's like, that definitely did not fulfill expectations in regards to what in my mind, again, what should have been happening in this episode. So it is a middle of the road episode. It's not, it's not terrible. It's fun. It's entertaining. There's some great spots to it. Um, there are some things that I might consider a little bit of a lazy writing, uh, but we can get into it. We uh, saw a couple things that happened in this episode that, you know, had been revealed in trailers or we had kind of speculated along like, okay, what does this mean? We have these, these birds. Is it, I think we figured out it was birds and not bats, although at one point we <laughs> thought it might be bats. Uh, I was holding out for them to be bats. I was horribly wrong in this episode, as they said multiple times. Well, we've had a couple of episodes now where they're by a, you know, by a beach. You know, we we had the lighthouse in yeah. the the fugitive of the Jadun. I thought the lighthouse was going to be in this episode because it's by the water. I was wrong, uh, but we did get to see these birds, this the swarm of birds, which I guess is kind of the uh, quote unquote scary part of this episode. Um, I know you're scared of birds more than I am. But <laughs> <laughs> I know you were saying like when we saw the trailer, you're like, oh, heck no kind of thing. Uh, was it, did it have an impact on you when you're watching this episode where you, you're like legitimately creeped out by these birds? No, once, once things started playing out, um, I wasn't too concerned about them. If they would have been bats, that would have been a totally different story. Uh, but yet the birds, I was, I was okay with the birds once the episode started, but I, I will point this out. You call them a swarm of birds. That's exactly what they were. They weren't a flock. Like the way that these birds were acting, they were definitely a swarm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this season of Dr. Who, they, they've been doing a lot of globe trotting. You know, they, they've been visiting a lot of different locations, but not just in space, but kind of all over the earth, right? And we've had multiple episodes where they're jumping around from one country to another. And this episode was no, you know, no different in that they went to multiple earth-based locations. Um, although Yaz thought otherwise for a minute. And I thought that was kind of a cool, you know, you get there in Peru and then they're, you know, in all the, in the, a couple of different spots in the middle of the Indian ocean type thing. So they're kind of keeping with that theme being a little bit more earthbound. Yeah. Instead of, instead of ju- jumping from Cardiff to Sheffield to London to we, we are making the jump from uh, Peru to Hong Kong. And then we're in Madagascar, middle of the Indian ocean. Uh, I know that in previous episodes we were in, Paris and we have jumped around the earth a quite a bit and not just within the UK. Um, they nailed kind of the time zones too. Like it was dark in Hong Kong. 
it was light in Madagascar. Like they didn't do the weird like transition from a super light place to another super light, super light place. They, they did, they did a good job. They were introducing us to a lot of characters. Yes, they were. And in a different way, you know, typically you get introduced to a new character kind of in conjunction with the direct events that are happening uh, with a companion or with the doctor, but they kind of pre-introduced us to these characters. We got to see uh, Adam as an astronaut by himself. We got to see uh, Jake, you know, as, you know, working in the supermarket. We got to see Gabriella and Jamila, you know, camping together. Like we get, we get introduced to all these characters previous to their encounters with the doctor or with any companion and kind of like establishing um, their importance, I felt like. I felt like they were kind of trying to tell us, hey, these are not your typical side characters that you might see in an episode. These characters are going to play a, a bigger role. Yeah, I I liked how this episode got started. And the way that you mentioned in regards to here's the characters, we're not immediately thrown into the Doctor establishing why we're doing something. You get to see the experience of these different characters. And then... You have the companions or the doctor being in, injected into the story at that point. It's kind of similar, again, to The Fugitive of the Jadoon, where we are introduced to Ruth and Lee. And like you, you get to see those characters before you ultimately jump into or the doctor jumps into the story. And I guess with Tesla as well, right? Like mm -hmm. we were introduced to Tesla first and then the doctor jumps into the story. Um, the difference I feel like, and I totally, I agree with you on Lee and Ruth. The difference I feel like with Tesla is you're, that he's already established as a, you know, historical focused character, you know, whereas before you might see uh, some side characters introduced, but don't really matter. Yeah. Whereas we knew he mattered, didn't matter when they introduced him. Um, and maybe I'm just, maybe I'm reading into it too much, but I just felt like they were trying to hint that these, these characters were a little bit more important and that they wanted us to kind of care a little bit more about them than maybe See, some side character that, you know, would just show up and die. You, you mentioned, so one of the first watch throughs, you, you text me after I had watched it and you mentioned something similar. And I just kind of like tucked that away in the back of my mind in regards to were these going to are are they setting it up that these characters could potentially be more down the road? Who knows? Um, touch tuck that in the back of my mind. And there is there is a line at the end that uh, Gabriella tosses out that it's like oh okay mm -hmm. maybe maybe depending on some of the other things that have been rumored with some of the other characters, some of the other companions. What if, what if that is somewhat of a setup for maybe one of these additional characters to be pulled back in to come back as an, as a companion as yeah, as essentially as a replacement companion. Well, the way I felt, especially specifically with Jake and uh, Gabriella is I felt like they were companions and they they could have been cast as companions you know they maybe these are ideas that chibnall had for characters as he was thinking of you know possible companions and they're kind of like uh they didn't make the cut type of thing 
<laughs> yeah, and now I can he, see that. And these are because they felt like you know kind of these important characters with big personalities. They worked really well with you know when they were in the scenes with the different established characters. It was like they were kind of they were they fit right in. You know, they were part of the adventure um, in a way that, especially at the end when Gabrielle does say, you know come back and see us sometime or come back and whatever. I forget exactly the word she uses, but I thought that that was a tip, a tip yeah. off that we are going to see these characters again. Now, maybe they don't come back in a permanent type of role, but Chibnall could be setting up for the next doc. You know, we've seen this happen before where a companion shows up in an episode like Clara or like Donna where they yeah. show up and then they ultimately come back as a companion later. Yeah. So I think that Chibnall could be thinking for the future and say, hey, let me introduce a couple of these characters and for possible, you know, recurring appearances or maybe maybe a, more of a permanent role eventually. Yeah. The, the, one, the one line that sticks out to me about Gabriella is when they're at the bottom of the Indian Ocean and how that goes about, I'm sure we'll, we'll discuss. But Yaz thinks she's discovered an alien colony, an alien planet, what have you. And then it's revealed, oh, you're at the bottom of the Indian Ocean. Yaz walks away looking absolutely disappointed on her face. Like, we're only at the bottom of the Indian Ocean. And then, like, Gabriella is like, I'm at the bottom of the Indian Ocean. Like, they did a lot to set up that sense of wonder <laughs> for for her as a character and her mm -hmm. desire to be involved and her desire to travel two girls roaming like they established that that she does enjoy traveling so those are those aspects that stick out to me with her specifically where it's like huh maybe maybe if you wouldn't have said it i wouldn't have thought it but maybe they are setting something up there and that one line or the the emphasis of her wonder in regards to where at the bottom of, i'm at the bottom of the indian ocean that's just a really interesting contrast to draw there between her and Yaz for, for really, I mean, at this point, no reason whatsoever. Um, I mean, they anyways. really got a lot of time on the TARDIS, these characters, and, you know, they got their introductions to the TARDIS. They got to get in their lines about it being bigger on the, on the inside. And it did feel different, you know, than your typical characters that they're, that they're bringing onto a show. Yeah, and I mean, they've definitely gotten a little more willy nilly with bringing people onto the TARDIS. It used to be a little, a lot more rare that the Doctor would bring people onto the TARDIS. It used to be kind of like my, my benchmark on like if a character was considered a companion. It's like, well, did they come onto the TARDIS? Now it's like, <laughs> you know, you got to throw that one out because there's been a ton of people. But it would be interesting to do some data analysis um, throughout Doctor Who, maybe even just starting with Eccleston and like how many different characters have been on added or been allowed onto the TARDIS um, from the, you know, from the ninth doctor up until the 12th doctor or 13th doctor. That, that would be, that'd be a really fun graph to, to put together. I think Capaldi did it a lot. You know, he was kind of more letting a lot of people, I remember the entire like group of school kids that came oh, on yeah. one time. <laughs> every, you know, I think he would win in grade nine. Yeah, I think he's let more people on the TARDIS than anyone. But yeah, it would be interesting to see, you know, the the stats around that. Yeah, that that would be that would be fun to to have it visualized for us. It definitely feels like it has increased um, as time has gone on. 
you mentioned two girls roaming and I thought that was a funny just kind of uh, look into like our current culture and how like everybody's got a show, right? Everybody's got a, a YouTube channel. Everybody's got a podcast, Yeah, you know, and in kind of that self-importance where, you know, it'd be like if you and I were talking to some people that we've never met before and then it was like, yeah, like you don't recognize me like Bad Wolf Radio. You know, like people be like, what are you talking about? Like nobody knows what that is, but like, there's that kind of, um, and I I don't think we're that way by any means. I think I I assume nobody has ever heard of me, but there are these, there in in this kind of up and coming generation of people who are constantly creating internet content. I think there is this little sense of self-importance and like that they are kind of a bigger star than they truly are. And I thought that was funny that they kind of called that out that she, multiple times was like you don't know who i am and they're like yeah i've never heard of you (laughs) (laughs) yeah it is i mean that was that repeated line for her character right and yes i or ryan saying that he's he does a lot of traveling as well um which that exchange that he mentions one of uh one of my favorite lines there because when gabrielle and ryan meet for the first time and she's trying to make sure that he doesn't have anything on him um, patting him down and she's like, Oh, you work out. And he's like, no, I, I, I just run a lot. I do a lot <laughs> like, of running. I, yeah. I love, yeah, I do a lot of running. I love that line. Um, because it's like, he, he really does because his life is always in danger. Um, and it's a classic like doctor line where he's yeah. constantly telling his companions to run. So yep. that was a very clever, uh, I think very purposeful, uh, interaction. Oh, absolutely. And I, I loved that. But then his and then Yaz's response to the same two girls roaming thing, just like, oh, OK, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> to me, that is like at this point, it's kind of becoming Yaz's character where she's just not impressed by much. Like she's 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 ready to go out and have her own adventures. She's ready to go be the one that runs back into a burning building. She she wants she wants more, it feels like, than what she's getting currently. Well, I think they've really established these companions now. We're finally getting to a point now. We're in season two, essentially, of of these same characters. And before it was like we're getting to know them and we're like, what do we think about these characters? And they're kind of coming into their own. And there's a lot of adventures that are happening off screen. And we're not seeing how much they've traveled with the Doctor. But they've definitely implied that there's been so much more that we haven't seen. Yeah. And they're, they've kind of really become these kind of you know weathered you know they've seen it all type of characters now that they're not they're not necessarily shocked by anything anymore they they've been around and i i thought this episode did a really good job of of really showing that because you almost get a like a hero moment when you see ryan come up over that hill you know yeah yeah. His first appearance, and it's like it's Ryan, you know, it's it's like a hero, this hero moment for this character, or when Yaz and Graham show up in that alley, and you do get that sense of like, oh, now like those are my people, they're showing up, like I'm happy to see them. Um, they've truly established these characters, and I I don't know that I have really got a sense for that until this episode. I agree. This this is one of those episodes, or this is maybe the first episode where at least for me, the companions didn't seem like weight. 
they they felt purposeful. They felt like they were a part of it as opposed to just kind of around. And then the pairings were interesting as well. Like Ryan by himself walking over the hill. He didn't have Yaz with him. He didn't have Graham with him. He wasn't with the doctor. It was Ryan by himself. And then Yaz and Graham being paired together. When was the last time we saw that pairing of just the two of them by themselves? Uh, In Tesla's episode, Yaz was by herself. Um, And we see the typical pairing of Ryan and Graham. Um, But yeah, it, it, it seemed like each of them had a purpose and each of them really had their moment. I mean, even if it's as small as Graham saying, yeah, I can, I can do an IV drip. I've, I've been waiting for a chance to, to do this after seeing it done so many times. Like they seemed, they seemed capable, um, whether it be Ryan dissecting the bird or Yaz going back into the building and grabbing things, or even just being part of the, the spaceship at the end, flying it, taking on jobs that the doctor just kind of threw at him. Um, they seemed capable this episode. Except for the part where Graham had the had the device <laughs> upside down. <laughs> He's like, it's right behind that wall. And then she turns yeah. it around. It's right behind that door. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, love that. I laughed both times I watched that, the episode. That one, and then even when he's in the spaceship, and he's like, I have it turned clockwise and she's like it's supposed to be the doctor's like it's supposed to be counterclockwise and he's like oh just testing you just practicing like, <laughs> that, it, it's that is graham's character at this point i don't know if it was graham's character in series 11 and maybe series 11 it was just him processing grace and grieving and so his his personality was toned down a lot more and now series 12 a lot more time has passed and so now he's just that goofy somewhat absent-minded at times guy but i i think that's his character yeah and i don't think they they don't portray him as being like dumb by any means he's definitely portrayed as an intelligent character yeah but they have moments of it is almost kind of like um it's almost like he's just not paying attention yeah you know he's just kind of like he's just he's so picking up the cupcakes yeah, he's so chill. He's laid back. He's kind of just not paying attention, not picking up the details the way that somebody like a Yaz is very focused. Yeah. Um, and Ryan is, I think Ryan is more pure comic relief sometimes in some of the goofiness. Um, and I th- I feel like I find Graham's humor a little bit more, uh, I it's more to my taste than some of the stuff that they've done with Ryan. Both are funny in their moments, but I, I kind of prefer Graham's. Yeah. Now that you mention it, Ryan is Ryan's an interesting character because they do portray him like age wise. Yaz and Ryan are the same, but they definitely portray Ryan as being younger in some sense. Um I'm trying to process immature. it, and I'm processing. He's a little I'm more immature, I think, and probably yeah. a little less uh, worldly. Maybe, like he hasn't maybe, seen as much, right? And that's probably the way to put it. I was playing with the word naive, and that just didn't seem like it was going to come across right. Um, but he's but grown a lot. He has absolutely. Who, it's just it is an interesting dynamic. Who knew that this this episode review would turn into like a dissection of the the companions <laughs> at this point. <laughs> I mean, you called it. I said that this was only going to be like a 20 minute episode and we find a way we find a way. 
Well, I do like I honestly do believe that this this episode was a great exploration into the 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 companions and kind of where they're at now. And I thought they did a really good job of kind of establishing where they stand. And even someone like Ryan who in the past has been a little bit more goofy and done things that are kind of, you know, not very smart, he he is now being entrusted with going off on his own and doing things and and I think he's coming across as way more competent and way more confident in how he's dealing with things. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's almost like they're setting us up for a a changing of the guard, you know, maybe that these characters are kind of coming to their own to prepare us for, for new, new blood. It's, that's not, that's not wrong. Like it definitely feels that way. I mean, Ryan went to the hospital by himself. He definitely seemed in control of the situation with Gabrielle. He pulled her back. He's like, hey, you don't want to mess with that. The body starts freaking out on the table. And what well, you going into run. the quarantine area. Yeah. She's like, like he, you don't go into a quarantine area. He's like, Well, don't you want to know what happened to her? You know, he's I don't think Ryan last season would have been the guy that would have gone in there. <laughs> no. And and he when Jamila's body is freaking out and he's like, I don't think that's alive. He's not, he's not taking off running. He's not overreacting. Like he, he's acting like someone who knows what's happening, who's witnessed similar things. And you know what? It's not going to, it's not going to phase him. It's different. It's new. And he's going to call the doctor, but he's, he's got thing on things under control. Yes. Well, let's talk a little bit about this, uh, the disease, I guess, the praxium, praxius, praxius. praxius yeah. The we had seen previews of this kind of almost. Te- it did look kind of like teeth looking, yeah. You know, thing that was growing on people's faces, and you know there is a you know, obviously a comparison to to um, Tim Shaw. Tim Shaw, yeah. And but we knew that that wasn't the case. Because he specifically had like teeth that he was implanted into his own face, whereas this is kind of a a disease, but it was similar looking. But, you know, we find out that it's actually, I guess it was the plat, was it the plastic um, that is growing on the outside of their body? Is that why it looked that way? Yeah, they never really, or they never really kind of talked about how it worked. Yeah, they never really defined the, the structure, but that's kind of how I understood is that. It was basically the the plastic was, what word did they use? Metastasizing. Yeah, thank you. Metastasizing and spreading and basically overtaking their body. Huh. And then they they explode into dust. And then they they explode into plastic dust. It was funny when the doctor, you know, when she finds the guy on the beach and, you know, he has the thing overtake him and then he explodes into dust and the two people that are there um, kind of are like, whoa, what just happened? And the doctor's like, I know that that was alarming, but don't be alarmed. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I thought the doctor had some good lines in this one. I like that. I like the part, you know, where then she quickly, she's talking about all the different things that are connected. And she's like, oh, yeah, then there was that cat in Ontario, but, you know, I've, I've ruled him out or something. And yeah. then later on, she brings the cat back up again. Like, oh, I spent too much time about the cat. You know, like, <laughs> I thought that stuff was funny. Yeah, there were there were some good lines uh, throughout it. I don't know. None of them really like 
struck me all that much other than the the line with Ryan, the character moment between the doctor and Yaz where she's like, hey, you didn't die. Um, now look at you going off on your own. Yeah. yeah. The not dying. <laughs> moments like that, but maybe it was just the pacing of it. Um, and I, I spent at the first half of the episode being like, okay, what's going on here? Um, what's happening? Which that's, that's what I liked about this episode. And that's kind of, especially on the first viewing when you don't know what's going on, I thought it did a good job of kind of keeping you in suspense as to how are these things connected? What's happening? You know, you're kind of trying to figure it out as the characters are trying to figure it out. And I thought they did a really good job with that and introducing these these other characters even you know we got we've talked about you know a couple of the characters that they introduced but they even introduced the characters that were on the beach and um they seemed like they could be kind of important characters too all of these characters had really uh unique uh, important personalities i thought yeah i mean they none of them were overly flat um, they all seemed like they had some, some defining characteristic or attribute about them. And we, so on the beach, it was Suki and Aramu. Um, they were the ones that were there when the first guy kind of dies. We find out that guy was on a submarine. So he, at first I thought it was the astronaut. Yeah. She nope. first saved him. Zach Olson. Yeah. Naval officer, Zach Olson. From a U.S. submarine, right? Yeah, from a U.S. submarine. Represent. But, yeah, so he, we got to see him die. And then, um, but, I mean, we find out later on that Suki was actually one of the, uh, I guess, scientists, alien scientists that was trying to figure out what's going on with this, this disease. Which yeah, I thought was, you know, I thought that they did a good job of, of concealing that. I didn't see that one coming. It was a, so first watch through when the doctor runs through the list of all the things that she needs <laughs> in a lab. I, now I'm not a scientist. I am not entirely sure how common any of these pieces of equipment are, but just the sound of some of them were like, what? <laughs> like, why would anybody have that stuff in some random lab in Madagascar? So like, to me, that was somewhat of an indication that this wasn't Suki wasn't entirely truthful about who she was. Um, so you saw it coming because of that. I didn't see it coming, but something was, it, it seemed, if anything, it seemed like extremely lazy writing right. to be like the doctor just happened to need these crazy pieces of equipment. And then Yep, I have most of that. Um, but then it does come out because the doctor's like, Suki, alone on the beach in Madagascar with a highly equipped lab. <laughs> it's like, okay, so I wasn't alone that this was somewhat of an odd situation. Well, um, I, I, I kind of chalked it up to just they needed that to be the case in the writing for the story to move on. And, you know, that's that's not uncommon in Doctor Who for them to have a conveniently placed thing uh, to, to help the story move along. So I actually didn't read that much into it, but I, I did think about it when she was going down the list. I'm like, Oh wow, that's such a coincidence that they have all this stuff. Yeah. Like I didn't even know half the things that she said until I finally read the transcript and it's like, Oh, those are the words that she used. And I think that this was the point where they were trying to, she was trying to figure out the things that she needed to come up with a cure 
Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So they were trying to come up with this cure that they needed all this equipment for. And I was thinking about, so this is where I started thinking like how, cause I feel like it happens in movies and TV a lot that a disease happens. They figure out, Oh, this is how to, this is the cure for the disease. Let's make that cure. Like let's make that thing. And it's like, how easy is it to just make a, like a cure <laughs> that you can just like have ready? I thought that was a little unbelievable. I mean, I mean, it's Doctor Who, so of course, but I thought, okay, you know, they, they figure out, okay, we need to do this. Let's make the cure and put it in like these five vials and then shoot it into the atmosphere and it cures the entire world. Well, so that's like looking at what they need. Rapid genome sequencing, a spectrophotometer spectro and a super fast incubator. I don't know. Maybe like some of that stuff just sped up the process once she spotted the that's why uh, you need a super fast incubator if they just that's had why like you need a super fast incubator. incubator it wouldn't or the work. fast one you need it super fast yeah and then you just take that and plug it into the tardis and it's going to give you all sorts of fun crazy stuff it's just such a trope in in movies and stuff where you have this quick fix it all you know the entire yeah. population of a planet has been infected by something oh let's just take it to the highest tower and shoot it up into the thing, and the rain will fall. And, and I mean, that happens in Harry Potter, like or in <laughs> Fantastic Beasts, right? And yeah, you know, it's happened in a lot of stuff. And so I, I just always thought, oh, a Spider-Man movie did that too, you know, where everybody's turned into lizard people, and yes. then they got it up yep. into the atmosphere. So it's kind of like one of those tropes where you're just like, okay, you kind of roll your eyes at it because it's almost been over overused, and so it just didn't it didn't make sense really. So are you in the camp that Suki is bad? No, not necessarily. Um, and I think the fact that they had these these suits on um, that kind of made them look alien-like, you know, they had these gas masks and stuff. But she never did. So it was kind of interesting in the, like, why did the rest of them keep it on the whole time? Like, and when you're looking when you're re-watching it you're kind of thinking why aren't these guys like if they're you know, if they're working in a lab and they're running around shooting guns wouldn't it be easier to do that stuff without a big mask on your face so so theory okay they kept it on not to prevent stuff from getting into them but to prevent stuff from getting out of them because they were covered in the praxia stuff right like yeah. when they finally took off their mask, they're basically their entire face was filled with it by that time. Yeah. By that time. So maybe they were trying to keep all of it in, in their little garbage bags. So they, they were infected already. So they were, yeah. Yeah. I didn't necessarily see her as a bad character. I think she was, you know, the doctor wasn't too happy that she was using the earth as a Petri dish. You know, but they were just trying to save their people and then right. they found a place that, oh, look, this place that has a lot of plastic. We can go there and test and, you know, kind of it wasn't like they were purposefully spreading it. Yeah, the their ship population. crashed and it got released. Yeah, it was more that they were going there, hopefully to do some experiments. So now yeah. they were experimenting on, you know, Adam uh, probably against his will so i think that probably wasn't the best thing but you know they're from another planet maybe they just don't understand how like you know <laughs> ethics work <laughs> they have different medical practices there Clinical they're very human looking different. i mean you would have never known suki was an alien you know she just looked human yeah no absolutely agreed now, do you think 
uh, Aramu was an alien too? Was he just a, a human that she partnered with that was unaware? Or do you think he was part of her crew? I've gone back and forth on that one. Honestly, I'm not entirely sure. First watch through, it was like, no, not Aramu. Like, poor guy gets swarmed by birds, dies after being very kind and generous to everybody and volunteering to watch the crazy swarm of birds outside without any protection. Um, and he seems surprised by everything else. But then the second watch through, it's like, huh, Suki seemed surprised by everything else too. So maybe they were just both surprised at the doctor, but not really, and, and surprised at how quickly things were moving, but not really surprised by Praxius. So I don't know. I like to think that he's just some innocent bystander who got the short end of the stick and no one acknowledged that he died. Yeah. Um, There's got to be a, a deleted scene or a cut scene or they had to cut for time. Right. The part where they were like, where's Armu? Oh, he must have gotten killed by the birds. There's nothing we can do for him. <laughs> they just left him. You know, he died. Now, I get the urgency because he was outside. He was doing his job watching the swarm. And then the birds attacked the people that were inside the, the the building. And so they all had to run out and get to the TARDIS as fast as they could. So I get that they weren't necessarily like too concerned with what happened to Aramu at that point. They were just trying to save their own lives. But it would have been nice that once they were all safe on the TARDIS, if somebody had just said like, oh no, like Aramu, or I saw him, he had already, it's too late. He, you know, he'd already been attacked. You know, that some kind of a line that they, that they actually cared that the guy had been killed. <laughs> or, or how about this? Like, when they when the doctor returns everybody safely to the exact same beach that Ermu is laying on <laughs> that they like hold a funeral service or something like give give the guy some respect cuz I, I don't I know mean, if he was still there i think he uh, I, the birds ate all of it i think he's gone well oh. the thing is if the birds attacked him they probably uh, you're right gave him the disease thing and then he, he would have exploded into sand anyways i don't know that there was any armu left for them to find <laughs> they probably were hoping he ran away and got got you know got out of there that there you go they, they never saw that, his body nope he abandoned him that's what happened that's what they think happened yeah i mean they they haven't shied away from kind of the disturbing violent deaths this season of doctor yeah you know no. some of that seeing the girl on the on the bed, you know, where her body kind of convulses and her eyes turn white and then she explodes and like, she's gasping for air almost. Um, the guy, same thing on the beach with that guy, like the way that these people are dying. It's just like, wow, that's very disturbing. I don't know. And I know that some people, they talk about how Dr. Who, Oh, Dr. Who's a kid's show. I'm like, I don't know if I'd let my kid watch this one. I think he'd have nightmares. Yeah. It's very disturbing. And yet the way that the companions are taking it, at least from what they show us, um, on screen it doesn't seem like they're struggling all that much with with guilt or the lingering impact of of the death of other characters um maybe that was more of a series 11 thing that they struggled with grace dying and maybe series 12 they don't struggle with it as much but it seems well, grace like was in, a family member right but it seems like in the past companions would struggle with like you're not saving them like oh, you're yeah. You're you're letting them die, like Bill, and then the doctor Bill would have would to give tipped. this huge spiel. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> and it was it was it was Gabriella that was like, "You're gonna save, you're gonna save Jake, right?" <laughs> like none of the other companions were like, "Can't you do something, Doc?" 
They were just like, oh, here's another guy going down with the ship. Well, that's true. And I think that's actually a really good call out because I think the longer that these people travel with the doctor, the more desensitized they probably do become around this type of stuff happening. And I do wonder that if she, if Gabriella had not have said that, that if the doctor would have made the effort to save Jake. I think they had already kind of chalked up the fact that he was gone. Yeah. And I think by her having that hope in the doctor and her saying, you know, kind of looking at the doctor as, hey, I've seen you do all kinds of cool stuff. And you have this, this, this like unbelievable machine that can travel, you know, you can save him. Right. And like, it's almost like the doctor's like, yeah, you know what? If I try hard enough, I probably can save him. Let me do it. You know, whereas if Gabriella wasn't there, we've already seen what happened with, you know, Orphan 55, where they just kind of left those characters behind and we're like, oh, well, I guess I hope they're okay. Yeah. Whereas this, the I think seeing that expectation in a new character's eyes maybe um, caused the doctor to put in a little bit of extra effort. Yeah. And it's just so interesting because, like, the doctor gives her explanation that she could do it, that she did do it. And you see Graham over her shoulder, and Graham's just like, nice work, doc. Yeah. <laughs> like, it just, like, no one's surprised, but yet no one was also concerned in the first place. It was just like, oh, okay, whatever. What happens, what happens? Yeah, he sacrificed. Yeah, he went back. He did. I mean, he did the right thing. You know, I think that when the doctor was like, okay, we're going to launch this spaceship into the atmosphere and use the autopilot, and then they go out and it kind of messes up, and they're like, oh, I don't think it's going to work now, but let's go anyways. Like, well, they kind of need, right? Like, you need to stop <laughs> this thing. The doctor had already kind of been like, well, let's just get out of here. And Jake was the one that went back and yeah. said, well, if it's not going to work and you need someone to fly the ship, I I'll do it. Could 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 the TARDIS have just gone into the atmosphere and dispersed it itself? Or did it need to have, like, an exploding ship? Yeah, I mean, there's always those type of things. Where you could think, oh, they could have done this, they could have done that. It doesn't serve the story, you know, or make it as exciting if you if you kind of come up with more logical explanation explanations. <laughs> but well, I was even thinking about the pollution side of things. You know, the 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 Earth has these, you know, what she, I forget how many she said, but these spots where all this pollution is kind of gathered in these oceans. And I was thinking, man, with the technology that she has and the TARDIS, wouldn't it, how hard would it be for her to go and just kind of zap that stuff off into space or something, you know, like <laughs> just scoop it up. Yeah. Like there's gotta, you know, she's, she probably could do a lot more than she does. Maybe it's a matter of just not wanting to interfere unless she needs to or what, but you know, I, I was kind of thinking about that a little bit. Um, and, you know, speaking of the, the pollution in the ocean, we did get another episode where they're kind of, you know, giving a message where they're saying, Hey, look, you know, you're, the earth is being ruined and because you're ruining the earth, it's going to cause an alien disease to come down and kill everybody. <laughs> so it's, I, it's, it's such an interesting, um, an interesting approach where they take things that are, are fairly factual, um, in regards to the microplastics and everything, everything else that was mentioned. And then they put that alien spin on it. Um, which, you know, it's Doctor Who, so yes, that's gonna happen. Um, but it, it always it always catches me somewhat sideways, where it's like, oh yeah, this is legitimate. Like I'm I'm now thinking about the stuff that I'm eating and drinking, and like, ooh, plastics. And then it's like, <laughs> oh, but alien bacteria. Never mind. I don't have anything to worry about. It's really not all that bad. 
I'm not going to turn into some scaly monster that bursts into dust. Well, I think in Orphan 55, I was kind of complaining about the preachiness of it. And this one, I actually didn't mind it as much because I felt like they actually did a really good job of representing things that are truly happening. You know, these these areas of the oceans where the, the plastics are kind of all gathering, that's a real thing. Yeah. You know, yep. I, I you know, that's that's something that actually is happening. And um and the pollution that we're you know, that we're causing with with the different plastic waste and stuff is is a problem that needs to be solved. So I do think that the, this episode, because maybe that maybe they were just a little bit more specific with it, um, something about this one didn't bother me as much as kind of the just the generic one, Orphan Fifty Five, where it's just like, oh, you know, we're ruining the earth, and we're you know, you're going to all turn into these crazy creatures. Um, I did still feel like this one was a little preachy, but I was more okay with the preaching. <laughs> this is my point. <laughs> It, uh, you could kind of tell right away they go she's like i'm going to show you the, this most beautiful river and then you get there and it's just like completely yeah. yep. you know just horrible you know the, you know humans have just completely ruined this this natural uh place so i was like okay it's gonna be one of those episodes yeah the the doctor's quote-unquote preachiness in this episode honestly and this is probably a terrible comparison came across somewhat like magic school bus busish to me <laughs> where it was like the billions of microplastics and then it gets eaten here and drunk here and you're eating it in this and this and this. And I don't know. I just expected them to jump in the TARDIS and get really small to investigate these microplastics. <laughs> it didn't happen, but I would have been totally on board with the that. Magic school bus. Hmm. Yeah. I usually get my, my star Wars reference in before you get your magic school bus. Reference <laughs> in, so. Uh, don't mess with the frizz. Miss Frizzle's how I learned most my science facts growing up. <laughs> nice. I mean, Graham had a nice moment, I thought, with Jake. Yeah. Jake, they're sitting out on the beach, and Jake's kind of upset and um, talking about how do you know you you know do you even know what it's like to be married to someone who's so amazing, kind of thing. Yeah. And Graham doesn't say anything. But no, just he the says look, nothing. The look on his face says everything. Yeah, and I thought that was a really great moment for just the acting in in that moment, but also the writing where they call back to something that we all you know know, and they didn't have you know they could have easily not had that included in in the episode at all, but that little callback to to what he suffered and kind of his relationship and the in what he's lost, and you know, being able to relate with this what this guy's saying, but never even acknowledging it verbally. Yeah, it very subtle, very well done. I'm I'm glad you called that out because when I watching that scene and kind of what Jake is expressing, uh, it was another instance that kind of struck me as like somewhat lazy writing the whole I'm not worthy of it. And uh, he says I'm being dishonest, but he really must be the one that's being dishonest. It just it seems somewhat cliche to me, but I think you I think you're absolutely right. The putting the focus on Graham or partially on Graham in that instance. And really, again, you get to see him flourish as a character who his kindness shines through time after time after time. Um, and in that moment, it, it is specifically highlighted. So I think, I think what you mentioned there does take something that I was viewing as somewhat of a, a cliche scene and it sheds just a little bit more light on it to help redeem some of the, I don't know, 
laziness that I found in the whole, oh, I'm just not good enough and he's way too good and how can he really care about me all that much? Um, I think you're right with Graham. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I like this episode, actually. There was, it wasn't perfect. There were definitely probably, if you want to get nitpicky with some of the, you know, kind of explanation of how things were happening. But I thought overall, I really enjoyed the characters that they introduced. And I liked kind of just the doctor and the companions doing their thing and figuring things out. And I thought they all had a really good presence in this episode. They all played true to their characters. And I just, I thought it was a really solid episode. It's not going to fall in like my top 10 or top 20 all time Doctor Who episodes, but I thought it was definitely an entertaining, good episode. Yeah. I think the biggest knock on my side again is it, it came directly after uh, the fugitive of the Jadoon. And it seemed like we should have seen elements of that carry through. It didn't, it was connected, but yet it wasn't. It is a good episode. Um, I saw some of the the rankings that were suggested in the Facebook group. I jumped in, I typed up a couple rankings, and I never posted them because I I really struggle in regards to where to put this one. Um, not I think because I've already it's... changed my mind. Oh, really? Yeah, on where I ranked it, and then I thought about it more, and I'm like, oh, maybe not, you know, because I had ranked it above Skyfall Part One. You did. Part two, you did rank it above Skyfall Part. Part two, yeah. Part two, yeah. Yeah, so, and then I was thinking about it back, and I was like, well, actually, you know, there was some pretty important stuff that happened in Skyfall. Maybe I should, maybe that's not fair. But I think I was looking at it purely from a, just kind of a entertainment perspective. Like, I never was sitting there going, oh, like, having a moment where I was kind of groaning or rolling my eyes. You know, I was engaged the entire episode, whereas I think with Skyfall, there were moments where I was kind of like, eh. So. And that's and that's the problem because it's like, okay, honestly, if I'm being totally honest, I would probably put this in the number five slot right above Orphan 55. Mm. But to me, that feels too low for this episode. But that's a good sign because you're saying that you thought this was a good episode, but it's only, you know, it's the lowest one other than Orphan 55. So that means every episode of the season so far has been good to, in your mind other than Orphan 55. I think it's been good or it's carried it's carried more weight moving forward. Um but yeah, I mean I, I just yeah, I just don't I don't know what to do with this episode. At least at this point when we're only 6 episodes in, who knows what changes with the other 4 that we're going to be getting, but I have high hopes. High high hopes for the next 2. They look too good. They look way too good. All right, man. Cool. Well, I think uh oh yeah, this episode also had a character named Adam. It did. Which means it did. that I can find a doctor quote with Adam in it. So you get to be in the title of an episode now. Yes. You already have your episode. I'll take mine. Which we, I think the funny thing is we used to joke about how much the doctor says, I'm sorry. Yeah. And the episode where I, where there's a character named Aaron and the quote <laughs> I used for the episode title was, I'm sorry, Aaron. Well, this episode I was looking for a good quote and really the only one where she says, Adam is, I'm sorry, Adam. <laughs> So I think that we're going to have a I'm sorry, Aaron episode and I'm a sorry, Adam episode. That's awesome. (laughs) I I like it when things come together like that. (laughs) But until next time, thank you guys for listening to our episode and us ramble on about Doctor Who. 
Um, but until the next episode, you can definitely check out our library of episodes on Apple Podcasts. You can also find them on our website, uh, badwolfpodcast.com. And you can find our Facebook group, which we are, I'm really enjoying all the interaction that we're getting in our Facebook group right now. Yeah. We have some regulars, but we've got, um, you know, a handful of people that are continually, you know, kind of adding to the discussion and talking about these episodes. And I really appreciate all of them. So thank you. You know who you are. Um, and thanks for contributing and kind of keeping the conversation going between episodes. Yeah, that's it. So we'll catch you next time. Sounds good. Later days. Am I still saying that? I'll say it one more time. I need to think of something. I think you need to go back to finding the the quotes. Yeah, I'll I'll do that next time.